Welcome to the Pageant Planet Podcast. We are very excited about today's call, but before we begin the interview, we have Jesse Ledoux, our queen of coaching, with our product of the week. Jesse, tell us about the product that you discovered. So this product came about through a VIP member's question. She had just finished competing for one particular pageant, and she was looking to dip her toe in yet another, which, of course, any pageant girl knows, once you try one, the bug gets you. So she was asking, how does she find another pageant opportunity? So I thought this was a great opportunity for us to feature um, our Find a Pageant tool through our directory. Uh, So the Find a Pageant feature of our website, which you can access at thepageantplanet.com, or pageantplanet.com, is you can search a pageant based on your location, your date of birth, not just your age, because we know that those contracts can uh, vary by division and by system, uh, and your interest. So perhaps you don't want a pageant that features swimsuit, or perhaps you uh, want to make sure that there is definitely talent in the system that you're looking for, and it will generate automated personalized results based on those features. Now, out of this, I mean, it sounds like it's very much just a directory. So what stuck out to you the most as far as usability of this feature? And I mean, as a former contestant yourself, what stuck out to you is like, oh my gosh, love this part of of the find a pageant feature. Well, the best part is how personalized the results are, because we know not one pageant fits all. It's based on the values, um, the various... Uh, divisions of competition. Um, So being able to really pick and choose what you excel at most and what you identify with is is really something special that nobody else has. And in addition to that, the other feature, um, because as I mentioned, sometimes pageant contracts are very confusing when it comes to age cutoffs, but we are the only feature online that allows you to enter your birth date and compare it with that particular pageant's restrictions um, and age guidelines. Now, can you, if let's say if you're married or if it says like, do you have kids or if you're a male or female, all of those types of people can find pageants for them in this directory. It's not just for like the miss and the teen. Is that right? Oh my gosh, absolutely. This directory is for folks of all ages, all pageant experiences, all divisions, all demographics. Um, so it works pretty well for just about anyone. And like great, mo- um, great point there, Stephen, because some contestants, um, they either are married or they have a child. Um, and this can help you weed out those pageants as well. And um, like, is it just restricted to the United States? Is it, does it include like Philippines or UK? I mean, all of that too? So because many of the pageants are uh, user-generated, so that means a a pageant director can actually go in and enter their own pageant. So there's no restrictions as far as location. It can be as granular as local um, to state to national and to international. So there's no limit. Um, So that's a great point, too, is that if you're a contestant competing for a pageant and you find that your pageant is not listed in our directory, what better way to show that director that you have initiative to be a spokesmodel for their organization and you're looking to recruit other contestants for them is to reach out and say, hey, I noticed that our pageant is not listed on the Pageant Planet resource for the pageant directory. So um, here's how you can do that, free and simple. That's awesome. So it is free. Um, are, are there paid options too? I mean, I, I would assume. Oh, absolutely. There are paid options that go further as far as sponsorship and promotion within the Pageant Planet, um, article features and other means. Um, but at the bare bones, it's absolutely free just to get your pageant listed. And for, like I said, many of our VIP members, that's the first place they go when they're looking for vendors or pageants. It's so great. Jesse, thank you so much.
Thanks, Stephen. Welcome to the Pageant Planet Podcast, where we help you succeed in pageantry. Now, here's your host, Stephen Roddy. Hey, this is Stephen Roddy, founder of the Pageant Planet, and I am super excited about today's call. On the call, we have Dawn Fryson Cook, and she is the American Elegance Lifetime Queen. She's been involved in pageantry for 31 years and coaches all styles of interview and on-stage questions, and today she's sharing with us how to mentally prepare for interview. So Dawn, welcome to the call. Thank you so much, Stephen. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, give us a breakdown. Like, what is a lifetime queen? Is that different than just a normal 2016 queen? Yes, it is. Um, Different pageant systems um, have different ways of honoring those who have been involved in a particular system. At the American Elegance Pageant, um, I was their national queen back in 2002, And I was the honorary international queen in 2003. And the national director just decided, well, I think we better keep her on board for a while. So I was bestowed the honor of being the first ever American Elegance Lifetime Queen back in 2005. So I'm also the pageant's national executive producer. So the crown comes with forever lifetime Forever Rain comes with some responsibilities. So you're kind of like LeBron James who signed his lifetime deal with Nike, only you did it with um, American Elegance. <laughs> that's a good way of putting it. <laughs> so you're kind of like LeBron. That's good. Well, hopefully it was close to the billion dollars that he got. Oh, that would be so nice, Stephen. Oh, <laughs> oh my goodness. I wouldn't even take one-tenth of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so let's get into the the nitty-gritty on how these girls can mentally prepare for their interview. Now, where should a new contestant start when preparing for interview? New contestants and even also seasoned contestants, let's talk about new contestants now. They're starting in the wonderful world of pageantry, should see an interview. It's really no different than a job interview. Looking at it from, from that perspective, realize that this is a journey of self-awareness and as well as an opportunity to tell the judges who you are, what you're about, and how you as the title holder would be able to promote the pageant and promote promote the system and promote your cause or advocacy as well. So I believe if a new contestant takes on the perspective of this being a job interview, then the preparation and training for that becomes a lot easier because it becomes something that's relatable because everybody goes on job interviews these days. Yeah, completely. And I I, I agree with that 100%. I mean, pageantry is just a glorified job interview for a spokesmodel position. So Exactly. Completely connect with that. Now, what do you recommend for a seasoned competitor? A seasoned competitor... First of all, she should um, wonder, and first of all, I think she should take a step back and realize why is she going back into competing for this particular system, and as well as a new contestant. These are competitors, since their name is out there, reputations may already have been established, to exercise their due diligence and do the research on the system. Again, it's just like being going for a job interview as a spokesmodel, as an ambassador for the system. Seasoned competitors have an advantage and also they also may have a disadvantage in the sense that 
some may come off if not properly trained as too rehearsed for their answer within their answers. Um, this is where self-awareness and self-discovery comes in to find out why this particular system that she's competing for at this particular moment in time in her life, what will this, what can she bring to this title and what can this title bring to her in her continued life journey? Good. So how far in advance would you suggest one of these girls start to um, prepare? Oh, Stephen, I, I knew this answer was coming and I am going to go outside the box and say that preparation should truly never end because pageants, my view of pageants is more holistic as it is a part of a girl's or a young woman's or woman's life's journey and the journey to get to know herself, journey of the opportunity to serve the crown and serve in her community, that's always evolving. That should never end. If you're talking more formally structured with coaching or advisement from, from peers, again, um, I definitely say at least a few months in, even for the seasoned competitor, because if there are some cautionary areas that she would need to work on, let's say she's sounding too rehearsed, gets an opportunity to get those kinks out. So she comes across as really being authentic and very excited about competing uh, for the opportunity to be the ambassador for the pageant system. Mm. Now, what type of self-talk should contestants have going into the pageant and throughout the pageant? Stephen, self-talk should be two things. It should be positive and perspective in nature. Positive meaning she should know who she is, whose she is, and why she is there. And perspective in nature, because we know how competitive pageants can be. And a, 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 a contestant can pour her heart, soul, spirit, literally blood, sweat, and tears into something, uh, such an important endeavor but realize that this endeavor, this pageant is just a part of the whole of who she is. So keeping that in perspective will, will give a, a, a contestant an opportunity to really um, put things into place as far as, as the whole. Well, like I know like when I'm in a really good space, like I've had a good night's sleep and, um, I've eaten a good meal and you know, things are firing on all cylinders in my life. It's really easy to have good self-talk, but yes. then, you know, some nights when maybe I'm didn't get as much sleep, uh, <laughs> the food isn't sparse and yeah, you know, maybe I got a little tiff with someone, you know, the self-talk can, can go down. So how do, how do you suggest girls kind of turn that ship around? Because when you're feeling negative, everything looks negative. So how do that you is help, true. Yeah, how do you suggest that they turn that ship around from it being negative to, to positive? I I believe turning how to turn that around is to just have a really good self awareness. Realize that the bad comes with the good. Not everything may be firing on all cylinders. Excuse me, as you said, and realize this just might be a little test from the divine to see, 
hey, um, how am I going to react to such a react to such a test? Because as you know, because you've dealt with title holders from all over the world and title holders who travel all over or even in their hometown that everything is going to go right. You may have a really terrible night's sleep the night before and then have a 6 a.m. call to a tele- radio station and maybe a 9 a.m. appearance at a television station and realize that this is just bumps in the road to something bigger. And again, that's why I say it's important to put things into perspective, to realize that this is a part, pageantry is a part of the life's journey, no matter if you're doing one pageant or do a hundred thousand pageants, (laughs) or maybe not that many, but thousands (laughs) of pageants. (laughs) Okay. So what are your, what are your best tips and tricks for dealing with nervous energy on the day of the pageant? Let's say they're like before they're walking in the interview, like what's Mm -hmm. your best tips to help calm those nerves? It depends on it depends on the contestant. Um, I've seen girls literally shake it off, literally. Some others review what they're going to say and rehearse what they're going to say. Others I've seen recite favorite biblical verses or favorite um, religious verses that calms them or self affirmations. It really depends on the girl, depends on what's the best method for her to shake it off. Best tips for me, I've done all three. Some girls I found is really chatty. They'll come up and want to talk with you. Others, it's like, don't touch me. I'm in my zone. So whatever it is that works for her, that's what works. I find it I find it interesting that scientifically there is no difference in energy between anxiety and excitement. It's only the interpretation that the mind gives of that energy. So, you know, and I heard another study that was it's impossible to feel um, both like nervous slash anxious and thankful at the same time. So if you focus in even whisper it to yourself, all the different things that you're grateful for prior to going into interview, let's say, for example, or going on stage. I mean, the fact that you are there, you are pursuing your dream, you um, have a family that loves you, you could even, you know, maybe walk into the interview, things like that. Um, it, it helps to eradicate that nervousness. Now, Absolutely. Now, if, if someone is feeling insecure about interview, what can he or she do to boost their confidence? This is where I believe preparation comes in. The training with coaches, with trusted advisors. Um, Realize that interview, again, this is what I usually say to my clients is think of it as a prism. Change your perspective. Like, Steve, let's say that we were both looking at a prism. You may see red. I see blue. And it's my job for you to see the blue and not see the red. The red is still there, but and the blue is still there, but I want the perspective to be changed. What this really boils down is seeing it as an opportunity. 
an opportunity for this contestant, no matter who he or she is, to be able to go in front of a judges and express who he or she is and why they are there and what they can bring to a table. It is, it is nothing but an opportunity to showcase who he or she is. And that's why I say that prism needs to be changed. The perspective about what interview really means needs to be changed. Great. How do you prevent like the mental block that sometimes happens in interview when, you know, maybe a girl just freaks out or a guy just freaks out, they get nervous um, and then their mind just goes blank. How do you suggest that they overcome that or like prevent it altogether? As I sit here in, in talking with you, um, I still sometimes get mental blocks in interview. Um, it's something that happens. I think there is there could be too much information overload going in, too much overthinking the pro, overthinking the steps he or she is going to take, thinking too much about the answer before the question has even been fully formulated by the judge. And and that person should take a step back, realize deep breathing, realize that this is a process. And it's just, an, again, an opportunity to be able to express who she is, who he is, why he or she is there in front of these judges at this particular moment in time. If that were to happen during an interview, just shake it off. It's almost easy to laugh, laugh at yourself if need be. I see this, I see interview, even though you are interviewing for a job, it's also a conversation. And I tell that to my clients. Interviewing is really not more different than a conversation with somebody you want, somebody you've just met that you want them to get to know who you are. And yes, you put your best foot forward, but you be yourself in the process. And mental blocks even happen during conversations, especially when you get to be my age, Steve. You just wait. Kind of like a lost ball in high weeds, yeah? <laughs> no, I, yeah? And honestly, if you have a mental block, then you're not going to really be thinking about any of these like tips because you have a mental block. So mm-hmm. I, I always, my default is just to laugh at myself. And, exactly. Um, it, it's a one-on-one conversation, yeah, like what you said. So I just, as a default, and you've seen me MC. I mean, we were just together, I think last week, <laughs> last week, a few days ago, um, mm-hmm. at Miss Royalty International, and you know, I just don't take myself too serious. If I jack up somebody's name or I mess up something in the script, it's like, oh, that was a disaster, and I just move on. You know, it's like no big deal. And if you take that approach, you have a lot fewer mental blocks because you're not putting your pressure on yourself um yeah so that's what's helped me is just honestly not take myself too serious regardless of the severity of the situation i don't expect myself to be flawless and honestly i feel like people are more um, attracted to me as a human being when they see my flaws not that i go and i tell everybody my dirty laundry but they they like to see like oh okay Here's somebody that can make a mistake, just shrug it off and just keep moving forward. It gives them more liberty to do the same. 
And that's what's, that's where the perspective and actually poise comes in interviewing. Poise is a whole lot more than just how to properly sit or how to properly stand, how to have your hands rested properly and your ankles crossed and things like that while seated and things like that. It is more of we're humans, so mistakes will happen. And it's more of how you handle that. And I love your what you say about laughing it off because there is not a judge out there in the world, even very tough judges, that expect a contestant to be perfect. What they are looking for, in addition to the criteria that the directors or the judges chair provides, is also how he or she can handle themselves under pressure. Because as you very well know, there's nothing more, there's no more pressure than doing anything live. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. Yep. Now, do you think practicing interview alone is as beneficial as practicing with someone else? Is it as beneficial? Um, I personally do not. Practicing with someone else, whether it is a coach, whether it's sister pageant queens, whether it's the pageant director, if you're on the state or regional level, or even with friends or family, um, could provide immediate, um, immediate feedback and immediate perspective. While there is a time and a place to practice by yourself in front of a mirror with a video, with your phone, video on your phone rolling, there's also time and a place to also practice in front of various different people, family, friends, heck, even strangers, um, as far as even going to the grocery store. And if a and if a cashier asks how you're doing, just be your genuine self and elaborate on the answer instead of just looking down, fumbling for your um, fumbling for your debit card and say fine. Yeah, totally. I get the most practice in public speaking when I'm just out at the mall. And exactly. somebody asks me a question and I just say the most random or goofy thing and then try to recover from it or they'll say something and I'll try to make a sly or a quirky remark. But if you're constantly engaging people, you're not going to be nervous and you're going to be less nervous in these situations um, because you realize and that you can navigate your way through the most uncomfortable conversations and the fun conversations and people with all different ethnicities, religious beliefs, and political backgrounds. Because you're just chatting with everyone. So now, exactly. How, so speaking of political um, backgrounds, how do you prepare for those like political and those controversial type questions that are primarily found in like Miss America? Um, but how do you prepare for them nonetheless? I do not want to be oversimplistic here, but I will be. First off, know the issues of the day. That's as easy as looking, you know, subscri you know, subscribing to CNN or any type of major news outlet. And in fact, you should, you know, watch a variety of news outlets. There's that's have these wonderful thing called apps. Pull that up on your phone or on your tablet and just read through the headlines. Um, my personal belief is that when a contestant is confronted with controversial questions, of course, the preparation is the key as far as knowing what the issues are. Knowing both sides of the issues, I believe, is critical. Yeah. To be able to articulate your 
personal beliefs regarding a controversial issue while at the same time being aware of both sides of a question um, and both sides of an issue, I should say. And really, I believe, sandwich the answer. Start off by saying, well, I, this is a controversial issue. I know there's both sides are very passionate about this issue or cause. I believe in ABC should become X, Y, and Z because of one, two, three, four, and five, realizing that this is very passionate on both sides. There's passion on both sides on this and try to find a resolution somehow or even to continue engaging in conversation to bringing both parties together for at least a dialogue, if nothing else. It's really great. I know it sounds simplistic, but preparation is the key and realizing there's two sides to every issue, but at the same time, do not be afraid to softly, and when I say softly, I don't mean as far as tone, but softly articulate what you believe in without being dismissive of the other side's beliefs. Yeah, great formula. So how do you handle that, that tough judge that it almost seems like, buddy, like, what, are you out to get me or what? How, how do you handle that judge? <laughs> oh, Stephen, I will be gladly to admit that I'm one of those tough judges. No, you're I not. Love to, you, yes, you I love Yes, I am. I am ruthless. I, I, I've never been a... Uh, I've never been in an interview with you. With you so. No, you have not. <laughs> so, okay. So how, how can a contestant handle you then? <laughs> My perspective on a tough judge is this. We, as tough judges across America and across the world, ultimately would like to see how a contestant handles himself or herself while the pressure is really on. Again, it's not about having the exact right answer. It's about the po it's about poise. It's not knowing facts and information. It's about handling pressure. Because as a title holder, you a title holder will be called. I wouldn't say maybe, but will be called into press pressure situations. Even going before a local organization of any type. Oh, by the way, Susie Q. Sunday is here this afternoon from the American Elegance pageant, let's say, and she is going to speak about her platform. She goes up on stage. She speaks about her platform very eloquently, eloquently. Then all of a sudden there's, there's hands shot up in the air and the questions are not nice. This is why the tough judges, this is why we exist. And another tip, that I also give to my clients, just because a judge is tough does not necessarily mean he or she does not like you. It's a good thing. You do not read, do not try to read a judge's mind. A good judge, you can't. A good judge, you cannot read his or her mind. A smile does not always mean what it means and neither does a frown. Now, what do you do if you don't know an answer to a judge's question? Simply say I don't know. Say I don't know, and just say. <laughs> well, please, go, go, go. Just say I don't know. I'm so sorry. I'll research that, or just I don't know. No, um, I've I've served as a public relations professional and a media media relations professional for 20 years, 
that's the type of answer where I say, I do not know. I'll research the information, get it back to you. When I'm talking to a reporter on the phone or in live on a news conference, because I will research the information and get back to them. I think saying, well, I'll research the information, get back to you on a judge, to a judge in the middle of an interview or on stage question is very formal, formulaic answer because unless that contestant is going to come to me literally and say, here's the answer to the question, I would just say, I do not know the answer to the questions. Judges are not looking for a walking, and I'm being really old school here, a walking encyclopedia. And for those who are younger, you know, a walking Google search. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So almost they could say, you know what? I have no idea what I have. I don't know, but if I see you in the next pageant, <laughs> I'll have the if answer If you then. see them in the next pageant, just for me personally, Steve, I just do not care for the answer because that sounds like a public relations answer. Yeah. Now, when I... No, I hear again, you. A public, relations, a public relations person would say that, and I've said that all the time when I worked as a spokesperson. However, I knew I was going to get back to that reporter with an answer. Right. I would just say, I do not know. Just simply say, I do not know. Yeah. If it's somewhat germane to your platform, say, I do not know about health care in, in our state. But what I do know is, and I'm just throwing stats out yeah. here, that 40% of all seniors are lacking health care across the United States. What I do know is this is an opportunity for me to just turn the conversation around. You don't want to dwell on the I don't know, but I personally feel it's very honest and refreshing to state that up front and then recover and move on. Yeah, and I like the I don't know, but what I do know is, and then fill in the blank. I like that. I feel like it puts a nice bow tie on around it. Right. You don't want to say I don't know and just stop. Please. Yeah. Listeners, viewers, do not. <laughs> that's that's a little that's a little harsh. That's a, a hard door knock. So I do not know the answer to this question, but what I do know is this. So and then go on. So how do you find a balance between sounding too casual and sounding too rehearsed? And this is the one question I have nothing. You should see this piece of paper, Stephen. I have nothing written on here. Nothing at all, which means I did not properly prepare for this question. Do you need me to help you? Do you need a let line? me give us. Let me get. Let me take a stab at it, and then I'll have you. And then I'll have you. Um, I'll have you anchor the uh, race home. Okay. Right. <laughs> my my suggestion on the sounding too sounding too casual is just a lack of preparation. That's where you need to practice, practice, practice in every type of scenario, every type of venue, the practice with formal practices with the coach and the sister queens and the directors, the informal practice, just going about everyday life, talking with the cashiers, the person manages the golf course, um, the person on the street, there's your practice. Sounding too rehearsed, this is where I personally believe as you get closer to the pageant, take a step back for a few days. Just don't even think about the pageant. Don't even think about interview. Go on with your life and then just 
do touch-ups and brush-ups and bring that perspective into place. So that's my non-rehearsed answer. That's great. So what do you say? <laughs> well, no, I, I was going to say um, sounding too casual is just like a lack of passion for the, 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 um, the title that you're going for. And honestly, it could even be derived out of insecurity. So if you're doing what mm -hmm. you just said, Don, in talking with other people and engaging people in an energetic way where you're actually enthusiastic about the other person, then you will not sound too casual in an interview. Sounding too rehearsed stems from trying to memorize your answers and then just regurgitate it based on like what a coach or a director or your mom told you prior to the interview. And you see it a lot when girls come out of the interview room and then girls ask that girl who's coming out of the interview room, what did they ask you? And then <laughs> that girl will tell them, Judge A asked me ABC. And then so the contestant prior to walking in the interview is like, okay, well, if Judge A asked me ABC, then I'm going to answer it like this. I think that would be the perfect way. And then when they get in the interview room, they try to regurgitate what they practice in the hallway and it just doesn't convert. It comes off sounding too rehearsed. Or better yet, Judge A, Judge Judge A asked A B C, but when the other per, other contestant gets in the room, Judge A asks X Y and Z. All right, there Never you like, go. Okay. <laughs> Always happens. The the um, the days leading up to your interview. Do you do anything different? Do you suggest that the contestants do anything different? What I do is I um. Probably contrary to popular opinion, is back off of rehearsing so much and practicing interview. Where if I may be practicing an hour or two every day, I may spend 20 minutes. Because I want to take the opportunity to see this pageant from a more holistic perspective as, wow, this is just this is an opportunity, again, for me to go in front of these judges and say why I would be the best ambassador for the system, how I can promote this system, and what I can bring to the table. Those are so and should be so internalized in the days coming up before the pageant that it should just flow automatically from your heart. It's not something that's just a... ABC type of answer, but it's just so natural. It's a part of your being. However, if we're talking about interviews that have a lot of news, current event type of content in it, then of course you need to stay on top of headlines. You need to stay on top of news. Then you just skim headlines and leads. Just take that, just click on that app on those newscasts, read the headline, read the first paragraph which is called a lead for our journalism folks out there and then just be done with it that's my personal perspective I do not believe in more preparation as you get up to that point because then that could cause a, a block of energy flow or a consternation like oh my god here I am three days before the pageant and I do not know what's going on I don't know if I have this or not there's a lot of nervous energy that needs to be properly channeled and adding on top of the concerns about interview, which just makes for a very nervous Nelly going into the pageant. Gotcha. 
So what advice do you give um, contestants who felt like they did poorly in Amazon? <laughs> I actually really, I really love this question because this happened to me at a national pageant three years ago. I had came out of pageant retirement. I had not competed once in 11 years. And I start, and I said to myself, I need to get back on stage because as a pageant producer, as a pageant coach, I'm losing perspective because I was starting to get a little bit short of my clients. Like, how can you possibly not know this? How can you possibly not do this? How can you possibly not prepare? Then I put myself in a position that I need to prepare. Not easy being a wife, mom, full-time job, full-time plus job, really. And plus all the other volunteer activities that I am involved in. So I put myself in my client's shoes and got up on stage once again, went into interview. I, when I walked out of that interview, I knew I blew it. I said, oh my God, I messed this up. And I was just freaking out. And I mean, I was just like, but the uh, onstage competition was pretty much immediately after interview. So I did not have time to really process what happened or time to give myself that perspective of, Maybe it wasn't so bad in reviewing all the questions and reviewing how I answered, review how I stood, reviewing how my nonverbal communication, what was the messages I was trying to convey. And I said, you know what? It's in God's hands. There's nothing I can do about it now. Whatever happened just happened. So I need to shake it off, get myself up there on stage. I won the title, Steve. And then when I got the the um, the feedback and the and the scores, I got tens and nines. I was shocked. I was stunned. I didn't think I did well. Point being, a contestant may not necessarily know if she did poorly after an interview, but realize there's other phases of competition that count as well. Right. Don't know how judges are going to judge. You may have a judge. You may have a judging panel that judges really tight. So if you have the, the ment mentality that oh I blew interview, and you don't know what the scoring is, and you go up on stage and do your on stage faces a competition, and you have this mental oh my this negative energy that oh my gosh I'm doing I did so poorly. That could that could make a difference. It wasn't the interview that made the difference. It could also be the on stage that made the difference because you allow that negative energy to permeate while you were on stage and it will show. So bottom line is you shake it off. You don't know what the judges are thinking. Continue, move on, push forward, press on. Great. So in regards to platform and interview, um, how does one go about presenting their platform in a way that will really make the judges just stand up and take notice? Platforms should be relatable, no matter how the no matter how well I'm trying to think I'm trying to find a word here. No matter how intricate the platform may be, it may be on something as broad as balancing the federal budget deficit. And this contestant may be a policy wonk and loves numbers and facts and figures. 
in order to have such a huge platform being relatable to the judges, and this is something I had to work on myself in order to be able to effectively work on this with my clients, is break it down. What are the statistics? What are the anecdotes that makes this platform relatable to a judge who is from who are from all walks of life? Yes, they're involved in pageantry, or they may not even be involved in pageantry, but essentially they're men and women who care about the system and who want to be able to be part of, be a critical part of finding out who the next ambassador for the system is. So basically you are talking about, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Jane Doe, if you're talking about judges, even though they've been involved in the pageants for eons, make it relatable to them. For example, if the federal budget deficit and how this, how important this is to a, how important this is to a particular platform for a particular contestant, just say, do you realize that each and every American, including you, will have to pay in addition to the $50,000 that you pay each year? And believe me, I'm just throwing out stats here. Paying additional, paying $50,000 to keep our country running, we'll need to pay an additional $50,000 per man woman, and child just to knock down our deficit by half. Make it relatable to the judge. So he or she can say, wow, this could impact me. So make your pageant platform relatable to the judge on the other side of the table so that he or she is like, hmm, and it really brings a home. Exactly. Now, okay, how can we find out? I know we can find more about the American Elegance Pageant by going to Pageant Planet, clicking Directory, and then clicking Find a Pageant. But where, where can the, the listeners go to learn more about the organization on social media? What's the direct link to the website, etc.? All right. I am very glad you asked our pageant. Um, we're going to have our 18th annual national finals, November 11th through 13th in Itasca, Illinois, which is a hop, skip, and jump from O'Hare. So anybody could just jump on a plane and come to our pageant. And of course, you're more than welcome. <laughs> just have to talk to the boss about that. Um, we are on Twitter and our handles at amelegance. So we don't spell the word American. It's just letter A, letter M, the word elegance. We are also on Facebook. It's called American Elegance Pageant. We have our information up there. And for more information on our website, we're at www.MsAmericanElegancePageant, all one word, all together, all lowercase, www.MsAmericanElegancePageant.com. It's awesome. Don, thank you so much for your words advice and just for sharing your time with us here today on Pageant Planet. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me today. And um, I hope the listeners have enjoyed and continue best of luck on your pageant journey. Want to ask your questions to the title holders and professionals we interview? Become a VIP girl today and get unlimited coaching from the Pageant Planet. Plus, ask as many questions as you'd like for only $47.